0: Hello, we're pleased you've been able to tune in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Welcome to the program.
1: If the rulers of this world, speaking of the evil forces, had realised that in putting Christ to death, that it would mean their defeat, they would never have done it. But that's the point. They didn't realise. We
0: see it every day on the news. Do something a little out of the ordinary and the media are all over you like a shot. Jesus, it seemed, experienced the same thing. He raised a bloke from the dead after four days in his tomb and everyone is then after him. Not everyone had the same motivation, though. Some wanted to kill him. Most wanted to know more about him. Things are hotting up for Jesus, so I invite you to stay tuned as we tune in with Dr. Corbett now to find out what the fuss is about. Tonight's message, the world has gone after him.
1: Good morning and welcome to church today. And if you resume your seat, we're going to open up the gospel of John again we are continuing through John's gospel and we are going to be looking at chapter 12 where I've called this the world has gone after him and you'll see why we refer to that let me just pray first and then I'm going to give you the background to what we're looking at just to remind you where we're up to in John's gospel But let's pray father open our ears open our eyes Help us to hear and help us to see. Lord, also soften our hearts. Help us, Lord, to be responsive to what we read in your word. May it not just be dry words of a long time gone past, but, Father, may what Christ, your Son, did those many years ago, Lord, also strike our heart now. May we be stirred by what we read and may it help us to come to know Christ even more, I pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. We've just seen that Jesus had raised Lazarus. He had gone to Bethany. He had deliberately waited the four days until Lazarus had been dead four days in the tomb. And he'd gone there so that there was absolutely no doubt the what he did in raising Lazarus from the dead was an absolutely astounding miracle. We had seen that there were religious authorities who were set on wanting to kill Jesus. And as a result, after Jesus raised Lazarus, he retreated to a small village called Ephraim uh, to the north of uh, Jerusalem, way north of Jerusalem up near the border of Samaria. And it was there that Jesus regrouped. The crowds were after him, (laughs) the religious leaders were after him, and Jesus, with his disciples, has withdrawn. But now we see he's returned to Bethany, where there is a feast, a a dinner that's about to be put on in honour of him and with the special guest being Lazarus. So this is the background to what we're looking at now. What we're going to see is that at this dinner there is a, a very special anointing, which was possibly the second or maybe the third time this had happened, where God had moved upon certain women, and Mary, the sister of Martha, was one of those women to anoint Jesus for his impending burial. And Doctor, well, in in this. We we find that Dr. Luke has cited an example that took place up in Galilee. But here we see John is citing this took place right outside Jerusalem in a place called Bethany. And we're going to see that Jesus has some very, I think, very beautiful words to say to Mary who did this. And a rebuke to his disciples. In fact, there's a couple of things that are happening here that are a rebuke to his disciples. So let's have a look at the text and then we'll unpack it as we go through. But I want you to see that this is, as John says, just days before Jesus would be taken in the night and crucified. And he gives us that clue in the opening words of John chapter 12, which says six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So straight away, again, I've, I've mentioned as we've gone through John's gospel that John gives us a number of clues that he expects readers to ponder and he expects readers to look at this and go, oh, okay, I, I see what you're telling me here. You're telling me that we are six days away from Jesus being taken in the night and being eventually crucified on the passover day so what we have is a a bit of a clue there from john we also have this statement that lazarus was there we continue verse 2 so they gave a dinner for him there martha served and lazarus was one of those reclining at table with him so we we have what could be a village-wide dinner it could be. We're not told exactly where. We don't know whether this was at Martha and Mary's house. We, we, we don't know that. We could surmise that. But either way, Jesus is the honoured guest. Lazarus is there and word soon gets out. And word gets out that Jesus is back. And we'll see what happens in a moment. But let's go back to the dinner party and it says this, verse 3. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment, made from pure nard. Now that's a, a very expensive fragrance that comes from India. And anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So here we have this amazing statement. And John often does this. He brings contrasts. Oftentimes Jesus does a miracle. And people believe, and then John will immediately say, but there were some who did not. Here we have an example in these two chapters that we're going to see in the next chapter, where in this chapter we've just read that Mary has anointed Jesus' feet with perfume and then dried his feet with her hair. And it's a statement about a couple of things. Firstly, her deep sense... Of unworthiness because what she's doing is the most menial task of a slave to wash someone's feet was not something that it, just anyone did it was given to the servants who were given the role of doing the most menial task. and washing feet was one of those those types of things washing feet The interesting thing here is that not only is is this a declaration of her intense unworthiness in the presence of Christ, in nearly every reference that we have to Mary, the sister of Martha, we have her at the feet of Jesus. And here she is again at the feet of Jesus. She's anointed Christ's feet with perfume as if it was water. And she's using this to wash his feet. Now, many commentators have missed the point here where they're, they're seeing that Jesus, who will say, this is done in preparation for my burial, which would happen within a week or so. But Mary is doing this to show her her submission to Christ, her servant heart toward Christ. And in displaying her servant heart, it is going to be contrasted in the next chapter chapter 13 and verses 4 and 5, where there they are in the upper room. Jesus has his disciples there. They've all come in and no one has washed anyone's feet. And Jesus takes a towel, takes a bowl of water, and he begins to wash the feet of his disciples. And so we have here Christ demonstrating menial servanthood of those that he was caring for. There's a, a sharp contrast here about what is happening here with, with Mary. And we see here, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was about to betray him. So here's John being the narrator again, telling us uh, something that perhaps those familiar with this story would know. So it's not to be, it's, in other words, he's also telling us there were two Judases in the 12 disciples. And this one was Iscariot, the betrayer. So he paints that picture. And Judas said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now that puts the value of that perfume extremely high. A denarius was a day's wage. 300 denarii is more than a year's wage, allowing for the fact that Jews did not work on the Sabbath, so we're talking about something equivalent to a year's salary of a fully employed person. That is a very, very costly perfume, and it's and and even though John points out this was something that Judas asked, the other Gospels tell us that the other disciples were wondering the same thing. So Judas is is identified here, but Judas says, "Why was this not given to the poor?" He said this. John tells us again, being the narrator. Not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, and you do not always have me. When The large crowds of the jews learned that jesus was there they came out not only on account of him but also to see lazarus whom he had raised from the dead so the chief priests made plans to put lazarus to death as well because get this and this tells us about the power of sharing your testimony this tells us about the power of someone telling someone else, this is what Christ has done in my life. You can imagine Lazarus would have had a pretty impressive testimony, having been dead four days in the tomb, buried four days in the tomb, now he's come back to life. This was no momentary stopping of a heartbeat, this was no momentary point of unconsciousness. This was dead, not only dead, dead and buried four days so the text goes on and says because on account of him many of the jews were going away and believing in jesus and there's the power of a personal testimony about what christ has done given faithfully to others the next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that jesus was coming to jerusalem so they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him crying out hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord even the king of israel and jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as it is written and this is in zechariah chapter 9 verse 9 fear not daughter of zion behold your king is coming sitting on a donkey's colt Now commentators have pointed out that when mary anointed the feet of jesus and quite possibly also anointed his head quite possibly that what's happening here also is he's being anointed as king and how was he going to conquer he would go to the cross and he would die and even though it looked like he was the victim even though it looked like all hope was lost, even though it looked like he was being conquered, the reality was he was the conqueror who was conquering death and the powers of darkness, the enemy of all that is good. So here we have Jesus now being recognized as the rightful king by the crowds that had come to believe in him. It says, His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, which, by the way, as we have seen, this is an expression of speech, meaning that when Jesus had died, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So there we have John telling us clearly that the raising of Lazarus was indeed one of the seven signs, whether it was the seventh or the sixth, we'll see in a moment. But here we have the evidence given that this man, clearly dead, thousands possibly, at least hundreds had seen him dead, seen him buried, Now, there he is alive, and they came and they saw Jesus, and they saw Lazarus, and they came to believe in him. Interestingly, the disciples at the time didn't quite see the significance of the palm branches and Christ riding on a donkey. But the text here says they did after he was glorified. And I suspect, as I've tried to point out as we've gone through the Gospel of John, that the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit, had deliberately obscured the mission. He had deliberately obscured the mission, particularly from the religious leaders, from others, and even the disciples. And Paul the Apostle tells us in his epistles to the Corinthians that if the rulers of this world, speaking of the evil forces, had realized that in putting Christ to death, that it would mean their defeat... They would never have done it. But that's the point. They didn't realize. And so we have here this concept that what Jesus was doing was obscured from the understanding of those who were eyewitnesses to it. But then after he was crucified and raised from the dead, suddenly they put it all together and they realized and quite probably That's because the Holy Spirit opened their eyes. And you know what? The same thing could be true right now. You could be listening to me no matter where you are, in your car, in your kitchen, going for a walk, listening to this on podcast or listening to this live via radio or via the internet. And you may not completely get it, but you are just one prayer away from having your eyes opened and in a moment, we're going to see Jesus actually urges each of us to come to the light, which is an expression, open your eyes and see what is in plain sight. So we have now this, this rather remarkable exchange that takes place. And it's one of those things that it almost seems random. And again, as I've tried to point out, there's, there's lots of these little, well, that's random, moments in John's Gospel And then we realize it's not random. Nothing's random. John's got it there very deliberately, quite intentionally. And this little episode that we're about to read, let's let's read it now. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. So there we have, that's the title of this message today. The world has gone after him, and here it is. Here's this remarkable little episode based on that declaration the world has gone after him. So now John tells us Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So they came to Philip, who was with who was from, sorry, Bethsaida in Galilee, which is a as we've already seen, a largely greek territory a largely gentile territory Uh, we also know that andrew and simon were from that region as well and interestingly philip a greek name andrew a greek name these greeks come to philip and they say sir we wish to see jesus philip went and told andrew andrew and philip went and told jesus and this is where it gets odd. It gets odd if we don't realize what's happening. So let's, let's read this, because what would you expect the response from Jesus to be in this moment? Andrew and Philip have come and said, there are some Greeks here who've traveled from Greece and they want to meet you. How would you expect Jesus to respond? How would you expect this story to unfold from this point? because here's how it unfolds, and don't tell me this isn't odd. (laughs) It says, And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will be my servant also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honour him. Now imagine Andrew and Peter. So Andrew and Philip, they've just heard Jesus say that in response to their request. Uh, Jesus, there's some Greeks here to see you. And Jesus says that. That is an odd moment. Unless, unless this was a signal, a signal from the Father to Jesus. We've seen this a few times now. We've seen where Jesus has told his brothers when they said, come to the feast and make yourself known. And Jesus said, I will not go. So they go, and then shortly after that, Jesus receives word from his father, and he goes. And here we have Philip and Andrew, Andrew and Philip, coming to Jesus. There's some Greeks here to see you. The religious leaders have just declared people are coming from all over the world to see him now. And Jesus says, now it is. Now it's my time. Now. Now I know this is what the Father is doing. The Father is telling me with this this moment, this signal of people, Gentiles, Greeks, coming from around the world to see me, the Father has sent me this signal to say, now is the time when I go to my death. And so Jesus says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, It remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. In other words, Philip and Andrew, it's not just going to be two Greeks who come. In the days to come, it will be thousands upon thousands because I go to the cross to die. Now, Jesus, it says, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Then the crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice came for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Now I know that there are some people who quote that during a worship service to say, Come on, let's lift Jesus higher. (laughs) After all, if we lift him up, people will be drawn to him. I'm going to suggest to you very strongly actually while worship is good and there is no doubt that sometimes when the church comes together to worship it does cause people to see Jesus in a way that they turn to him. That's a good thing but that's not what he's referring to. When the Son of Man, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. That's what he's saying about his death, being lifted up on the cross. And John tells us in verse 33, he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Interestingly, Athanasius, who wrote something around about 280, AD 280 or so, it's called On the Incarnation of the Word, he actually says there was no other kind of death that Jesus could have died to atone for sins apart from crucifixion. And he says it's the only kind of death where the victim is lifted up into the air. And when you think about it, people who are hanged are dropped to, to the ground. They, they are suspended but then taken down. But in this instance, the death involves being lifted up. And so that's why Jesus said, and John says, this, this was to show what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we've heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of the light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, John tells us, they still did not believe in him. So that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed What he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? There's John citing Isaiah 53, a powerful messianic psalm. Therefore, John tells us, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, John tells us, many of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And there we're reminded of what it says in Proverbs, the fear of man brings a snare. And here we have today people who are often afraid to come to Christ because They might suffer the ridicule of their friends, but here Jesus is giving a somber warning in what he is about to say, and Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me but in him who sent me, and whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words, and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Now here's a somber warning from Jesus. It kind of points to the fact that Jesus is saying, I'm not about you becoming religious. I'm not about you becoming something that you are on a Sunday or a weekend and then going out and being something else through the week as if I don't matter to your life. I'm telling you, I am your light. I will light you on a Monday. I will light your path on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Walk in the light. Not just when you come to church, Not just when you're doing religious things, but all the time. I'm not here to make you religious. I'm here to bring you into relationship with God the Father. That's what you were created for. That's the thing you're looking for. That's the search of your heart to find this life that can only come from being connected with the Father, my Father. I've come to bring you home. I've come to declare to you the truth, a truth that the religious leaders, the authorities that that are leading you and teaching you is not true. You are not made right with my father because of anything you do that looks religious. You are made right with the father because of what I will do for you. Jesus is telling people it's not about merely looking religious or doing religious things it's about coming into a relationship with him he goes on for i have not spoken on my own authority but the father who sent me has himself given me a commandment what to say and what to speak and i know his commandment is eternal life what i say therefore i say as the father has told me And what is Jesus saying to us today? Believe in me. Do not be afraid of what others might think if you put your faith and trust in me. Do not be ashamed to go to church and be a part of a church. Do not be ashamed to read his word, the Bible. Do not be embarrassed that you now have put your faith in Christ. Do not be ashamed. And this is what Jesus is saying The consequences are eternal. And right now you might feel that God could never forgive you. You might feel you're a million miles away from God. But let me tell you, based on what Jesus has said here, you are not. You are just one prayer away from being made right with God because it's not about you, it's about what Jesus has done for you. Let me pray for you and I pray that your heart will be softened and opened and changed as a result of this prayer that we pray together. Father, I pray for all those who've joined with us now in opening up your word, that, Father, as we've looked into your word and we've seen what Jesus had to say, that, Father, you would open the eyes of the blind, spiritually blind, you would unstop the spiritually deaf, help them to hear your voice, help them to have eyes that see how much you love them and how you sent Jesus into this world, Some. 2,000 years ago, to take away their guilt and their shame and their sin and to pay the price on that very first Easter by dying on the cross. And now, Lord, I pray, help people to see that you are offering them eternal life at no cost to them, but at great cost to you. And Father, I pray for those who've joined with me now, both here and wherever they might be, That, Father, you would help them to grow in their understanding of you by reading their Bible, by belonging to a church community, by telling others, by telling others what you have done for them. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. If
0: you'd like to listen again or you've missed a program, you'll find an archive of all previous episodes on our website, findingtruthmatters.org. For tonight's program, select The Last Gospel, Part 17 from our online store. You can also find the podcast by subscribing to Finding Truth Matters on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. As we've heard tonight, there is power in personal testimony. No one can argue with your story of what Christ has done for you. and It may well draw others to seek after Christ. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to meeting with you again at the same time next week for another Finding True Matters.